there it is. And the music plays, and all is right with the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Faith Podcast for November 2023. I'm your host, Jonathan Butrin, and I'm joined once again by Slobby Bobbin himself, Tim Nelson. Hey, Tim. Hey, John. How you doing? You got to bring that up again, huh? <laughs> I got to bring it up. That is uh, Tim's alter ego on Facebook, and I'm not going to repeat the story because you have to listen to last month's episode of Blackberry to find out, but yes, Tim does have an alter ego. It's very mysterious. There is. I won't explain it. You guys can figure it out. Yep. So how you doing, man? It's good to see you. It's been a month. I'm doing good. I uh, I feel like there's a lot of movies out, I'm doing, but movies. I'm personally doing pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just been hanging with the fam. And driving lots of kids to sporting events. Oh, gosh. Yeah. The worst. One after another, right? Yeah, because your kid's into football. He's playing basketball now, so that's okay. more. I'm not complaining. I mean, it's great, but I feel like I spend more time at the high school than anyone should. It sounds creepy the way I said that. <laughs> I was complaining by the end of it. My kid did baseball, and it lasted for like six months. And I was like, this has got to stop. It's got to end at some point. It's, baseball's the longest of all. Yeah. Just when you think it's over, they're like, all right, um, we could be in it for another six weeks of playoffs. <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, that's there really was seen. a point where I thought it was done, and they were like, hey, you made the all-star team or whatever. Have, have another three months. It's like, oh, gosh. You're all, congratulations, son. Oh. <laughs> uh. So, yeah, good. Well, Tim, October came and went. My favorite month. It's always sad to see it go because it just always is so great. But we're in November now. The time to be thankful. So... Thanksgiving's right around the corner. When everyone's listening to this, Thanksgiving will be over. I hope you all enjoyed a wonderful time with your family and ate turkey and fell asleep watching football, all the things we do in this crazy country of ours. But it's not Thanksgiving yet, so we're still going to celebrate it here on the pod. So, Tim, here's my question for you. We're not going to do best Thanksgiving movies because there's only one and we talk about it every year and that of course is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles and if you haven't seen we it. We just talked just, about it again. Just if you haven't seen out. it. Yeah. I know. To go see them, just watch the movie. It's That's what you watch every year. There's, it's really not hard. There's one movie. So, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Unless you're one of those weirdos that likes Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving like our world-class designer of the Cinema Faith website, Dan, Dan Baker. Baker. <laughs> yes. So he loves Charlie Brown, you know, which totally fits his personality. He's like just kind of that quirky sort of uh, dry humor. But anyway, I never got into it. I never don't know if I've ever asked you that. Do you like the old uh, Charlie Brown pumpkin or whatever it is, the Thanksgiving? I like thing. the Charlie Brown Christmas. Christmas. I don't, okay. I don't, that's, a, that's a fantastic one. I don't, yeah. I'm not like – all the other ones are just – they're aspiring to be the Charlie Brown Christmas. Right. So like right. all the and great pumpkin. Short. But I would say in order, I would go uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, great pumpkin, and then the Thanksgiving one, which I don't, I, I can barely watch it. Never been a huge fan of it. Well, the original uh, Christmas one's good. I have watched the Christmas one. It's okay. I still think even that one's slightly overrated, but it's fine. It's fine, guys. I'm sorry for the hate. I know people are just diehards about this stuff. but You've been wrong before. I've been wrong before. I've been wrong yeah, too many and you're times. Very hum- you're a very humble person, so I'm sure once you come to the light on this one, you'll be good. <laughs> the older I get, the more wrong I am. It's just really, it's something. Life has a way of humbling you, Tim. I'm wrong all the time with all three of my kids. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah. anyway, my Thanksgiving question is, what is a movie that you are thankful for? Something, a movie that you're thankful exists. Like you're just glad that it's there, that you can watch it anytime, that you're glad that it's a part of your life. Do you have one? So I'm thankful for, this is a little modified response. I am thankful that 
when you type in Criterion in the Max app, it loads you all kinds of awesome movies. I feel honored that I was at your house when you discovered this. You were so excited. Like, it was just like you would come home. <laughs> I didn't know how good it was. Yeah, Max is so great because it's has a lot of stuff that used to be on Netflix, but you type Criterion and it'll give you anything that has that keyword for Criterion Collection. Mm-hmm. Like yesterday, I watched a one-minute film by Millet or whatever, like the French guy that did the moon. I can't remember. But it's got all these different films. And then I uh, watched Peter Weir's like first notable film. I mean, it's just got this stuff that That's awesome. I wouldn't even think to look at. I wouldn't even think to like go, oh, I should probably watch this. Mm-hmm. And so I'm very thankful for that. And you showed it to me. So thank you. Of course. It's all there on Max, right for you. That's great. Criterion's awesome. I mean, they're the best versions of the movie that you can get. So yeah, I love Criterion. So that's not really an answer, but that's totally an answer. that I can look that up. Yeah. No wrong answers. Well, mine... Tim, mine is Lord of the Rings. We started our annual watch of it. It should be annual, but we didn't actually do it last year, which was very frustrating. We tried to do it in November because we're getting ahead of Christmas. You know, by the time December hits, you got to watch 28,000 Christmas movies. So we try to do it in November, and we're doing it this year. And I just am so grateful that those movies were made, that they're so wonderful. Like... Every time I watch them, I get something new out of it. I cry at the same stuff. It's because it's just got everything. It's got all the right values in it, you know, like the weak being made strong and the little people changing the world. It's just, it's got everything and I love it and I I just love watching it. And I love that I can pass the experience on to my kids and that they'll hopefully do the same thing with their kids and huge fan of Lord of the Rings and I'm grateful they exist. So there you go. There you go. That movie's enduring. I mean, it's in its, is it 20 years now? Gosh, you might be right about that. Yeah. I mean, I think those, I can't remember the actual dates that everything came out, but it was early 2000s. Yeah, it was early 2000s. I almost want to say 2001. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they're the tw- they're all around 20 years old now. Mm-hmm. And still great. Lots of practical effects, you know, that I mean, like the, so many of those big statues, they just basically built models and zoomed the camera in. So it still looks great. And yeah. Good job, Peter so if you, Jackson. Like if, you, if you think about how good Peter Jackson is, look at the Star Wars movies from the same era. Yes. So look at, what is that, Phantom Menace. Mm. So look at those. You know, they had huge budget. They had everything at their disposal. Yep. Limitless. It was. It was a blank check, basically. You're doing and Star then, Wars. Yeah. And look at those, the quality of those and how they've endured compared to the Lord of the Rings stuff. Case closed. Yeah. I mean, it's just really, it's really clear. Oh, this was done for... Yeah, and obviously you can see that in the awards even at the time. But it's just it's just interesting. It means to me it's like well, having an infinite budget and a lot of talent doesn't necessarily make a good movie. Totally. I still remember having a conversation cuz I love the original Matrix and I remember when they announced the sequels, I actually told my friend at the time, I remember saying this, I was like dude, it's going to be so much better because now they can do anything. Like they have all, you know, they, they have all this money and, and it wasn't because you th- throwing more money at a project does not increase the quality. It can, but it's not automatic by any stretch. And sometimes yeah. I would argue that having limitations actually forces you to be more creative and to do things that you wouldn't have done if you just could, you know, fix it in post or whatever because you had the budget. Yeah, it's like a a constraint. So like sometimes a constraint will actually make better art. So I think about like artists who are like constrained to genre or media or whatever. Yeah, they tend to create better stuff. 
So I, yep. I can only do this. I can only write about this town. I can only do a Western. I can. I think that you tend to get better art out of that. Totally. It's a famous Jack White example. He limited himself to three instruments on every song or whatever and three colors and he, because he believed that you couldn't make great art unless you're limited. Yeah, there you go. All right, Tim. So we can't do a show without everyone's favorite segment. What have we been watching? So you did just mention something, some things you watched yesterday, but do you have anything else that's been on your radar that you watched recently that was good? Yeah, like I, I've been watching a lot of docs, actually. What's a good documentary you watched recently? I love Okay, so here's what I watched. So because in the Criterion Collection, you can search this up. The Rolling Stones' Gimme Shelter, which I may have seen like 25 years ago. Have you ever seen that doc? I've never seen it, but I've heard, of course, it's infamous. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the same brothers who made the Grey Gardens. Have you ever seen Grey Gardens? No. This is on your list. We're giving you a list. And okay. I want to say Maisels or something. I can't remember how what the two brothers' names. But they were kind of in the beginning of the just capture it and don't explain it. Don't research it. Just take a bunch of cameras and capture what happens. So they captured a bunch of stuff in 1969 or 70, I think, mm-hmm. of the Rolling Stones tour. And they actually captured a guy getting murdered on camera. At Holy Ultima cow. Wow. By Hell's Angels. Yeah. And the movie has so if you I've never seen a documentary that has that level of tension to it because they let you know in the beginning that somebody's going to die at Altamont. And it really happened, and a lot of people like interpret it to be like, this movie is like the end of the counterculture movement. Like, this is it. So anyway, it was a free concert. It was supposed to be like Woodstock West, right? And it turned into a total nightmare. Like, wow. violent. That sounds amazing. I want to watch that, like, very soon. I'm, it's yes. at the top of my list now. It's crazy. Yeah. So yeah, check that out. That is Gimme Shelter. Another good music doc I want to check out that I've heard about but never actually watched is Stop Making Sense. They just re-released it, the Talking Heads documentary. They just uh, uh, did a re-release of it with interviews, with current interviews. So, yeah, I want to check that Do out. Do I have to pay for that? Probably. Or maybe it's on Max. I don't know. I have not done any research on where it might be streaming, but I hope so. All right. Yeah. I'll find it. Well, good. Give me shelter. All right. I'm watching two shows as usual. It's my chance mm-hmm. to talk about TV. I am watching in honor of Halloween. I started Midnight Mass in October, which is like this. Um, you know, there's like this guy named Mike Flanagan, and he's always making these like horror shows for Netflix. He signed some multi-project contract with them, and so this one was is his best one according to the critics, and so far it is proven true. And it's basically just like. He's just is really good at making creepy stuff, but this one is cool. What I like about it is that it treats religion very maturely and in a very nuanced way. So, like a scene I watched the other day on the most recent episode it was like episode four. It was so great, Tim. There was two people talking on a sofa, and one person was described like presented the best version of atheism I've ever heard. Like be, this being all there is. So it was basically a conversation of what happens when you die. So this guy okay. presented uh, his version of what happens when you die. And it was honestly, it was beautiful. It was like, you know, basically you have this DMT rush as your brain sort of empties out its last thoughts and everything. You become life for other lives. You eventually like, you know, become the stars and all that stuff. It, it was just, it was really like, I'd never heard that perspective before. And then they switched to the other side of the couch and this woman described her idea of heaven, which wasn't like some weird, you know, golden gates and stuff. It was basically just being embraced by love forever and it was that equally was so beautiful it was just great because they gave each viewpoint equal time equal like depth and it's like wow if we could have these kind of conversations but so that's the kind of like 
subtext of this show, but then it's also like creepy and like, you know, there's demons oh, and murder stuff. And so it's, it's great. It's really good so far. It's just respectful. It's sophisticated. It's giving, yeah. well, I have to check it out. Well, also giving you primal, you know, horror goods still. I don't want to make it seem very highbrow because there's still like, you know, terrible things happening. It's a horror show, but it's sophisticated <laughs> lowbrow. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I would say. And then number two, I'm watching season two of his dark materials. That's that golden compass trilogy. Remember, like I said to you, how disappointed I was that the animals talking didn't look real. And you were like, John, I got something to tell you. Animals don't, they don't talk. Well, they talk a little better in the season two. They perfected it a bit. Do I I'm- talk like that? <laughs> <laughs> that was my impression of you. That's what I tell people you sound like. I'm not convinced by your impression of me on this uh, animal talking. I thought it was uh, funny. Actually, to be honest, I made it sound like I was mad about that. But every time I listened to that, I laughed when you... Um, I thought that was hilarious that you said that. But the point is, Tim, that they perfected it. The CGI is better. The animals talking looks better. And honestly, it's gotten just like the level of quality is better. So it's finally becoming the show I wanted it to be. So if you are a fan of Philip Pullman's Golden Compass trilogy or His Dark Materials, as it's properly called, you should check it out. Like, the HBO's killing it. They, season two is finally, like, bringing it home. So And there's three seasons because there's three books. So check that out as well. Midnight Mass, cool. if you're into that sort of thing. And if you're a Golden Compass fan, His Dark Materials. So that's what I've been watching. Cool. All right, Tim. It's time to get down to business, man. We both saw a movie. And it was a very, very long movie. Three hours and 25 oh, minutes. I don't know. <laughs> something like that that's a long time yeah 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 we both had to see it in the theater because it's not streaming yet it's eventually going to stream on apple tv but not for like a month so tim how was your experience watching this very very long movie in the theater how was that for you uh like so don't just talk about how my experience was i had to find a theater okay in the like within 45 minutes of my house uh-huh. that I could go. And this is because I have to go during a ki- while the kids are gone. Sure. There's no, well, first off, my wife's like, I don't want to see a movie like that. I'm like, okay. So I was out, not a date. Okay. Uh-huh. Glad I didn't do a four hour date at a movie. My wife would go crazy. <laughs> no. And who can blame her? Who can and blame so, her? Yeah. No, nobody, nobody can. Okay. So then I'm like, all right, I got to find a movie where it's playing in like my window that I have. And I have a six hour window. There's one theater in the whole Metro region that I could actually go see this movie. So I saw a new theater. Go, oh, you went to a new theater. Great. Yeah, and a new a new theater chain, which apparently is like the fourth largest in the U.S. or second largest. I don't remember. And, and that's in addition to we have AMC in Kansas City. So it was kind of cool. Cool. Was it nice? Was it a good theater? It was nicer, less worn out than the AMC that we've gone to in Kansas City here. I didn't eat any food there, so I don't know about that. And what about the slushy? They probably don't have the AMC slushy. My guess is no, but I didn't. I was not in the mood for it, so it worked out okay. Okay. But the seats were much better. It was pretty empty theater because I was going at the people that wake up early to go to the movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like who does this? Yeah, old people. So, uh, retirees. Yeah, it was old people. It was a huge screen. So I saw it with good sound, big screen, all that stuff. Heated seats. That was nice. Oh, beautiful. How did you yeah, not fall asleep with heated seats for three hours and 20 minutes? Do you think... All right, so let's, let's tangent a bit here. <laughs> Do you think that these recliners... I get the point of the recliner, right? It's to make you feel like you're in your living room. It's to make you feel pampered. Yeah. Do you think that they're like making people fall asleep? Because I fall oh, totally. asleep in movies a bunch of times in these, and it's always in these recliner seats. Yeah, 
Tim, there are people snoring in these theaters. I hear it. There's a guy. There was a guy <laughs> snoring in the back. Like, dude, they just come to fall asleep. That's what they do. Ah, and it's such a nice sleep. It's like so dark in there. You, you know, people have been eating a lot of food. They're just like napping midday. Yeah, because it's, it's usually great. about halfway through after you know the bucket of popcorn's about three fourths gone, and then it's like it starts to you know it's hard. Yeah. So anyway, how do you feel? Do you think maybe it's like dangerous to go into a four hour? Yes. Poorly edited. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. You might prefer streaming at that point for a three and a half hour movie because you could pause it a little bit. You could regain your strength if you have to. It might be the better way to watch a really, really long movie or just have a freaking intermission. I don't know why we lost that. Like this was the way it was for so long and for whatever reason, we just don't do it anymore. I don't know what is the problem with having a five to 10 minute intermission. Like it's fine. He said he didn't want one, (sighs) which whatever that would have added five to 10 minutes to my window. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. You're you're very narrow window. Yes. Well, Tim, guess what? I went to a new theater too. It's sacrilegious because I normally go to my Majestic Theater and I love it, but I went to it's still Marcus, but it was called the Movie Tavern. I've never been there. It's basically a it's fairly new. It's it it's fancy, it's new, it's good, and they have real food, which I thought was key. That was my strategy going into this is I wanted to go to a place that had real food so that I could actually like order food and have that be like the thing that keeps me going for this very long film. So I did. I ordered a little platter that had mozzarella sticks and chicken tenders and loaded fries that had like okay so let's define what john butrin calls real food (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a dubious definition now that you mention it it. sounds it sounds slightly like a children's menu (laughs) (laughs) i know i know but you cannot tell me that all that doesn't sound good chicken tenders mozzarella sticks and loaded fries come on i think of that as like happy hour bar food yeah, it is. So, like, I, I thought you were going to tell me, like, you were eating, like, chicken cacciatore or something or, like, uh, yeah. like, But, no, so you're saying that they had not po- just popcorn. Well, they not- do have they do have other stuff. They have burgers. They had – they had actually did have loaded mac and cheese or whatever. I just wasn't – I don't know. For whatever reason, I just wanted that. That sounded the best to me. It's but good. I'm not saying it's not good. It's, it, yeah. it's, it, they're, cla- they're out there for a reason. Everybody has that for a reason. I'm with you. But <laughs> that, I wouldn't have – for a reason. Like, they had real food. I'm like, fresh baked bread <laughs> pasta no they i could have done it but no but like they have lamb? a full menu it, to be fair yeah so what, what so it was really good because it was really gamble. good i thought it was tasty and i made sure to like space out the food that's the key right you want to space it out so you're taking a bite mm. approximately every 15 minutes you do not want to finish this an hour in because then you're just sitting there with another two and a half hours to go so i really spaced it out and I did it right, and it was honestly a great experience, and I was proud of myself. And it was what I wanted, and it worked out good. And it kept me awake. So, so ordering food at a movie theater, risky business. It is risky, but... Because how much is that? Was that like uh, $75? Oh, easily. <laughs> yeah. No, no. You don't think about cost when you're going into this. Uh, you're, you're like, I'm spending $100 today. That, that's basically the mindset. And anything below that, you're like, oh, I saved money. Yeah. And this movie's like the Oregon Trail. Like, you better provision, right? You have to provision. You have to ration movie. it out. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You have to provision yourself. You might yeah. want gunpowder while you're in there. I mean, like, all <laughs> kinds of... You may need to hunt. Like, yeah, it's, you it's a long, <laughs> long movie, right? Yes. Yes. You may need yes, to hunt. You're, you were, like, doing rationing like you are on a I ship was. in the British military <laughs> or on Navy. <laughs> 
<laughs> you all can have so a little true. more hot tack here. <laughs> there were times where I reached for another bite of the chicken tender and I withheld. I'm like, no, we have to save that. I'm, you know, like, wow. like I'm on the ship. I, I might die if I just, if I don't save it. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. So that was that. Honestly, it's a great movie theater. I would recommend the movie tavern if you are in the Milwaukee area and you, you know, want to check out a new theater. I have no idea why I'm advertising for them because I'm not getting any money for it, but you should check it out because it's a good theater. You like it. It's in yeah. Brookfield. It was yeah. nice, and it was fancy, and it was like, just it felt upscale, kind of like the Majestic, but with food. So, bingo. There you go. Very cool. All right. Oh, and you know what else? I took my 16-year-old kid, who is like, totally sat through a three-and-a-half-hour movie without being restless, without like checking mm. his watch or whatever, just quietly sat and watched this movie, and we had a wonderful discussion afterwards. I am finally got a kid who can like engage in adult content with me and that's so cool i love it yeah enjoy that I'm well geeking yeah out. i mean yeah. it took a while right you've raised a, a child for 16 years yeah that's how long it takes but he's got good taste from what i've heard on the podcast he does he has good taste yeah. i'm very proud of him like he knows good from bad and he can sit through a movie and be patient he can be patient which you know that's the worst thing when you're watching a movie with someone and they just do not have the they're not able to just let the thing unfold or whatever but he can so Good job, Elijah. I'm proud of you. If you're listening to this in 20 years and I'm dead or something, I love you with all my heart. Aww. And we had a fun day once watching Killers of the Flower Moon. I have no idea why I went there. Sorry. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I do imagine that I'm leaving little notes for my kids through these podcasts. It's nice. Well, I love that you love your kids. I mean, you can't go wrong there, right? That's fantastic. (laughs) He'll probably hear this someday. Because our voices are going to live forever on the internet, Tim. Oh, have mercy. I don't know what I said five years ago, or even like five minutes. This could be bad. Totally. Yeah. That's why I never listen to our shows again, because I probably will disagree with something I said on the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Should I, can I leave a note to my kids? Please do. Yeah. This is your, this, whatever you want to say. This is my chance. Close the refrigerator. (laughs) Close the refrigerator after you get something out. Okay. I love you guys. Your kid is an adult listening to that right now. And he's like, shoot, dad always did want me to close the fridge. Wow. I need to do that more often. Yeah. When it freezes, this is for my kids too. Mm -hmm. Unscrew the hose from the frost free silk cock outside. Okay. When it freezes. I went very sentimental. You're just very practical. Like I'm trying to help him. Rotate your tires on a regular basis. (laughs) Don't neglect the oil changes. Yeah, oil exactly. change. I don't know what the oil will be like, but look at the manufacturer's recommended schedule of maintenance. Mm, these are good tips. I love yeah. all three of you. Okay. Thank you. All right. <laughs> awesome. I'm sorry. I'm entertaining myself. <laughs> Apparently no one else, but I am having fun. All right, Tim. Let's talk about what this movie is actually about now that we have uh, done our little intro. So the movie, of course, is Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by Martin Scorsese. And what is this thing about, Tim? It's been a while since you've given your little plot synopsis. I want to oh, hear your this take. This is too long for me to do synops. <laughs> just, just, just keep it broad. Keep it above level. Okay. There's a country. No, it's okay. Um, okay. We're here. The Osage tribe is a tribe that was basically kicked out of Missouri, sent to Oklahoma. And it turns out that there was tons of oil underneath where they were sent. So basically they were systematically kicked out of their homeland, but they dropped into an oil rich area. Okay. And got filthy rich. And they had the highest per capita income of anyone in the world for a very brief period. They got really rich, and what you see is a 
you have a bunch of people who come in and are basically trying to exploit and destroy what they have in order to gain something for themselves. So it's a, it's a, it's a really, it's like a classic Western where you have two groups of people who are one's trying to get an advantage over the other through violence and intimidation. I mean, there it is. That's it. Leonardo DiCaprio plays Ernest, who's this guy who just got back from the war. What war would that be? I'm like so bad with history. I think World War One. There you go. So yeah, he's coming back from World War One. He uh, lives with his uncle, played by Robert De Niro. His name is William Hale, and he just kind of gets plunged into this world that what Tim's talking about, where William Hale sort of is this architect of you know on the surface charming, nice, kind guy, loves the Osage people. He's there for them. Underneath the surface, he wants their money, and he's doing everything he can to try to make sure that all the rights to that money is somehow flowing back to him. So that's what he's up to, and Leonardo DiCaprio, is, uh, as Ernest, is sort of going along with the ride because he respects his uncle, and he's sort of doing what he's told, and eventually Ernest gets falls in love with one of the Osage women named Molly Burkhart, played by Lily Gladstone, and they get married, and then more things happen. I won't spoil it, but that's kind of how he gets connected there. And yeah, it's just sad, man. It's a sad tale of people taking what they want from the Osage people. And it's, and it's based in actual history. Yeah. So this is a true story. A true yeah, crime yeah, story. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of an interesting take on everything. I feel like it's an interesting take. I haven't seen a movie like this before. Me neither. I don't think I have. I almost feel like it's in the same kind of vein as like some of these anti-Westerns. Mm-hmm. What would be another example? Like from the 70s. So like there's some of these Clint Eastwood ones. Like I'm thinking one of the ones I was thinking of is uh, the Missouri Breaks. That's not Clint Eastwood. That's Jack Nicholson and somebody else. Anyway, okay. it's based on a Tom McGuane novel. But there was a whole bunch of them in the 70s that were kind of anti-Westerns. So like making cultural countercultural statements by using the Western, which is kind of like the narrative of the dominant culture. So they kind of reappropriated the Western. So I kind of feel that there's some of that stuff going on here. Nice. There you go. A little film history for you. I love it. Let's talk about some acting. Leonardo DiCaprio, man. All right. I think what more is there to say? We've covered him a few times. I think maybe the last time would have been the Revenant. It's probably Mm -hmm. the last time we took a big deep dive into Leo. But he's a great actor. He just is. He always brings it. He's committed to every role he plays. I wouldn't mm-hmm. call him like a character actor per se, where he like disappears maybe like a Christian Bale, but he becomes the character and you can like he you can definitely differentiate, you know, his performances and be like, Yeah, he was doing this and that and that character was totally different than the other one. So I think he's really I good. I like him. Yeah. 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 What did you think of him as Ernest? I thought I believed that he was not real bright. Like I really believed exactly. it. Exactly. Which is kind of a change of pace. I can't recall Leonardo DiCaprio playing a character like that. That's kind of, he's a little bit dim-witted. He's got bad teeth. He's just a little bit kind of a, I don't know, what do you, what do you call it? I would say he's like a bumpkin. But yeah. like he's a good guy, but like he's very, he's a simple guy. He wants to have uh, meet a wife, have a drink. He's like a blue-collar working man kind of guy. Like that's, even though he hates work, <laughs> right. he ends up always doing something that's the dirty work. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd see he's a, kind of a simple guy. He uh, loves his family, loves, but he's, he's easily manipulated. He's a follower. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. He gets caught up in doing things that maybe he realizes after the fact aren't good, but he lets other people sort of 
control his decisions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's well, another thing about him is that he's not like pure evil, but he does do some bad things. He's kind of like just your average sort of not good, not terrible. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think he's, he's subtly terrible, but he's, yeah, he's basically willing to be led in whatever. He, I think mm-hmm. that's, that's his terrible, that's a terrible part of him and the good part of him, which is, he's like, okay, I'll do that. Okay. You know, he just kind of mm-hmm. goes with whatever he's told. That's terrifying in some ways. That's terrifying, especially when your uncle is kind of a psycho. Yeah. Well, I don't know. If I look at Leo's filmography, I what was so weird is that, like, there isn't one role that just stands out. You know, if someone were to ask you, like, oh, Leonardo DiCaprio, what's what's he known for again? Like, can you think of, like, one role where it's like, oh, yeah. I mean, a Titanic, I guess, if you have to. You have to what say, about like, Wolf? Wolf of Wall Street? Did, I don't know. I thought that he's great in that. I just think the movie is so kind of overrated in my opinion. Like, I don't love it, but I've only seen it once. You you really like him in that? I just think that's what I think of when I think of him, like, in his best acting. No, the Scorsese movie? Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. There's some movies of him I like more than others. Like, I like Revolutionary Road with Kate Winslet. He was so good in that. The Departed. I thought he did really well in There's a really underrated Ridley Scott movie called Body of Lies, which I actually think he's fantastic. I haven't well. seen that. I'll have to Dude, see that. It's good. It's got Russell Crowe, too. Uh, it was basically like that movie came out around the wake of the terrorists. But, you know, when, when when we were kind of in a frenzy about terrorism post 9-11 and that movie sort of follows him as a CIA agent sort of bouncing all over the world trying to stop terrorism in very subtle, like kind of that gray area way that like you like maybe the average public would be very uncomfortable with. But it's good. Yeah. What's his Academy Awards? Academy Awards. All right. Yeah, let's take a look. I haven't looked at it in a while. So it looks like he was nominated a bunch of times. One, two, three, four. He's been nominated six times. That's amazing. Yeah. So what's eating Gilder Grape? Aviator, Blood Diamond, Wolf of Wall Street, like you mentioned, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But he's only one for The Revenant. That was his first and only Academy Award. So I I liked him in The Revenant. That's mm-hmm. a weird movie because there's not a lot of talking, which I yes. think gives people an advantage when they when they can't talk. It gives them an acting advantage because you have to pay closer attention. You're like, oh, that's acting. I, th- I think so. I think so. But The Revenant, I thought he was good in that because he had to sh- do so many emotions. Mm-hmm. And then the actual really work for that, he's like freezing his tail off the whole time when he's doing that. That's one of my favorite movies. Totally. And we did a big podcast on that. Uh, again, a disclaimer, we don't remember anything we said and we probably wouldn't agree with it. But we were, did talk about Leo at length. I think we even went through almost all of his films. So, you know, check that out if you want more on him. I'm surprised that he wasn't nominated for Django Unchained when he played that crazy, like, villain character um, yeah. in Tarantino's movie. He was awful in that. He's so bad. So bad. But he never, he doesn't, so if you look at all these films, is he ever playing a simpleton in any of these films? No. No, that's what I'm saying. I think this is his first foray into that, and it was kind of interesting to see him like that. Yeah, totally. He's usually playing like somebody who's trying to hustle or work their way up, or, mm-hmm. you know, he's a typical character that's trying to like face adversity. Mm-hmm. And in this, he does that part, but he also plays a simpleton, which I think was refreshing. You don't see a lot of that. Yeah. You don't see a lot of it from big stars in general, right? No, it was cool. I thought he did. I thought he, I mean, obviously shows his range. He's very good, but he's like a fast talker, real smart, bright eyed guy. And to have him play somebody who didn't, who was the opposite of that. Yeah. Uh, just impressive. Right. 
The thing that always fascinates me about him, and I'm going to say something that is not a Christian value in any way, so, you know, judge me all you want. It's fine, whatever. People do. I wouldn't mind, like, being him for a day because, like, he's just, like, one of those upper echelon actors, right? If you think of, like, Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, Leonardo DiCaprio, I mean, like, I I think that's probably the three most famous people in the world. So he's kind of one of those people that can walk into any room and he's instantly, like, the most, you know, powerful person there. He's got gazillions of dollars to spend on whatever, you know, he can get ice cream from... Alaska, you know, delivered to him at any time he wants, and on a is that helicopter. the best ice cream? We gotta get some. <laughs> I don't know. Just making stuff up. But the point like is, that. is that he has that. Like the if you want a person who's gay, who's 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 gained the whole world, he's done every. You know, he's reached the top mm-hmm. tier of life. You can see him now. Does that make him happy? Probably not. Probably not. And so that's why it's a stupid thing to actually want. And I would probably only want it for a day, and then I would instantly not want it because. He actually, when he's out in public, seems very miserable. He hates the paparazzi. He's always covering his face because he's recognized everywhere he goes, and that's right. that wears on you after a while. So I'm sure I do. That, I, I, yeah. It wears on me. I know <laughs> it wears on you <laughs> when you go out and people are like, "Oh, that's the guy from the Cinema Faith." It, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Or yeah. or it's Slabby Bobbin. I think it's Slabby. No, Bobbin. no, they never recognize me. No, the uh, I can imagine that would be. Not as great as it seemed. Probably it was great for 10 years, but 20 and 30 years, not so yeah. fun. I was going to say, I remember him on Growing Pains, the yeah. sitcom from the, from the Kirk 80s. Kirk Cameron. Like, he and Kirk Cameron know each other, which is so bizarre with how his life took a turn. But <laughs> So, when yeah. So, like, when you run out of plot lines, then you bring a new character in. And he yeah. was that character, and he just... Yeah, and so they just basically use that as much as they possibly could. I love it. <laughs> That's what I, I remember. Him. I'm like, really? The little brother on Growing Pains? <laughs> right? Yeah. But he's just a fascinating guy because I like, we don't know much about him. We don't know much about his personal life because he makes everyone, you know, sign NDAs, all his girlfriends or whatever. They can't talk about, like, you know, what he does, you know, behind closed doors. And you just wonder, like, what you know, what's it like hanging out with Leonardo DiCaprio on a Saturday afternoon at his house? I don't know. I don't know. I guess we have glimpses because there's always these paparazzi shots of him partying on yachts and beaches and stuff. He does like to party, but just sound. I, I can see that you want there to be a bad side to this. I want there to be a bad side. It's like we talked about in the last episode. I want it to not be as glamorous as it seems because. So maybe he just loves acting. Of course he does. Like, what if that's the case? What if he's just like loves his craft? That would be cool. I mean, there's people like that out there. Totally, and he's done it right. You know, he he actually gave. Amazing advice to Timothy Chalamet. Chalamet said this in an interview. Maybe he wasn't supposed to, but he did. He said, Leonardo DiCaprio leaned over and said to him, two pieces of advice, no hard drugs, no superhero movies. And I think that served him pretty dang well. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That sounds like good life advice for listeners too, don't you think? No hard drugs, no superhero superhero movies. movies. (laughs) (laughs) Just in general for everybody. That applies to everybody. Yeah. You shouldn't watch them or make them. Yes. Well, you shouldn't be exposed to either of those things. Yeah, yeah. So he's, you know, he's he's had a really good career and he hasn't, you know, done something just stupid or said something that was awful. And so I think he's done it right. But uh, good job, Leo. Yeah. Is he the last movie star? We always talk about this. I I think that those are the big three. Well, you got to throw Brad Pitt into the conversation a little bit too, right? I don't know. Yeah, but they're all older than he is. They're all older. Like, is there a lot? I think he's like, if you, what is he in his 40s? Mm, he's approaching 50, Leo. Yeah, the rest of those guys are like 60 plus. Mm-hmm. He might be. You're right. He might be the last living movie star at some point when it's like every day it's another thing. Tom Cruise died. Oh, Brad Pitt died. It'll Leo will still be there, hopefully. 
Let's talk about Robert De Niro. Speaking of aging movie stars, here's another actor that's always Just solid. Old. They're not even <laughs> aging. Old. They're old. <laughs> Dude, I love De Niro, and I just think like who else could play this character like as well as him? You know, it's this guy who is able to on be believable on the surface of being charming and and people trust him and and respect him. He's believable in that role, and he's also totally believable that beneath the surface he's this smarmy, greedy, awful person. And he plays it both of those things at the same time. I just think De Niro is the only one who could pull that off, and I love him in this. It's great. Yeah, super creepy. Super creepy. Yeah, I, I thought he did a great job. They did a good job of having him almost always sitting down for a scene. <laughs> From the <laughs> moment we see him, he's sitting down. You're right. Like an emperor in every scene. Like even in car scenes, he's sitting in the car. That's choice, and that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So Yeah, De Niro's I, great. I, yeah, he's so scary. So scary. Well, yeah, because he's always manipulating everyone, even from prison when he's lost everything. He's still trying to manipulate everybody involved. Behind bars, and he's still doing it, yeah. He, God, he, I think he did great. He could win something for this, I think. Totally. And that he mm-hmm. should be nominated at the very least. Yeah, he was great in this. And man, he's made a ton of movies. A ton of great movies. He's been working mm-hmm. with Scorsese for so long. Of course, Taxi Driver was like their big one. But, I mean, they've done Raging Bull and Casino and... Ugh, so many good movies. But so does DiCaprio. This is like just getting the band back together every time they make a movie. Yeah, definitely. But Goodfellas, man, I mean, you know. It was so funny, too, because he made Goodfellas the same year that he made another movie called Awakenings, which I think is a very underrated movie. I actually showed that to Elijah last, or it was a couple weeks ago. It's so good. Robert De Niro is so good in that movie. He plays, it's a true story about a, an actual syndrome that a bunch of people had where they got frozen. They were still alive in their brain, in their mind, but their body was completely frozen. And huh. Robin Williams, in a totally serious performance, plays- I've seen the, this movie. Yeah. Plays the doctor who figured out how to bring them back to life, you know, to animate But not bodies. Patch Adams. It's, a it's not movie. Patch Adams. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. And so- if you want to see great acting in a movie that no one ever talks about, go watch Awakenings with Robin Williams and Robert De Niro. So good. It's good. Yeah, I, it was big at the time, but that's got to be like, what, 92 or something? Totally. I mean, that's an older it's movie. Old. It's Is an that, old movie. Wait, when was Goodfellas? Same, Goodfellas, same year? No, but it was the same year. Good, he, they made them the same year, 1990 was when that came 1990. out. 1990. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's one of those movies that's so old that you like go to it on Amazon and it's like, you can rent this for $2 or buy it for 3 It's like, oh. Oh, that's okay. really, yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so it's interesting. I'll have to revisit that. I've seen it before, but I haven't seen it in a long time. Yeah. And the other thing that's underappreciated about De Niro is he's actually funny. Like, I still think he's great in Meet the Parents. I don't know if that movie holds up. I remember loving it when I was younger. And Silver Linings Playbook would be a more recent comedy that's actually, I know, is a legitimately good movie. So he's got a funny streak to him. And that's cool, too. But I like him when he's ruthless. It's more fun. But but definitely, I guess you're right. The more I think about it, you're you are definitely correct. He does have a good, he does do humor well. Finally, let's talk about Lily Gladstone as Molly Burkhart. I thought she was maybe the hidden gem of this whole movie. I wish she was in it more, honestly. Like, I just think she's in it a lot, but I feel like she could have stolen every single scene of this film. It was a tremendous supporting performance. Playing Leo's love interest, his wife, she just has this really dominant energy, refined, sophisticated, but also kind of like vulnerable scared you know of what's happening around her and even she gets sucked into things that maybe 
anyone would say this is not good. So she's just a very multifaceted, complicated character, and I thought she was terrific. Terrific. She's the balance of the De Niro character. She balances that out, and he's kind of like, I kind of look at it like uh, maybe it's because I've been working out finally. It's kind of like if you have like a dumbbell, right? Like on, not metaphorically, but like if you have weight on either end and then the DiCaprio, like they're, they're kind of like, they hold everything together. They're weighty. And on the middle, it's like DiCaprio is the link between the two and he's not weighty. He's like, he's kind of right. a thing that keep, but they need the balance, man. Yeah. Because the De Niro character is so scheming and heavy and evil that I think she's like, not she's the opposite of that, but very intelligent. So it's like how she counters him. Interesting. So you're saying De Niro's on one side, she's on the other, and DiCaprio's like the he, yeah. He's kind of the thing that he's the ping pong ball, I guess. Let's switch our metaphors. And so <laughs> you uh, literally went from lifting weights to ping pong. I can't well, keep up. That's because right. lifting weights. It All wasn't right, quite fine. working. So anyway, the uh, but but I look at them as being like kind of they're the anchors on either side. So she's looking mm-hmm. out for her people. She's the one that can see the schemes that he's doing coming like coming way ahead. And I also think it's so interesting that De Niro character is constantly talking about um, you really need to get things in order because these people are going to die. And then like the but the De Niro character is like eighty years old. Yeah, totally. And, like, he, the and like his rights. wife's They're like about to thirty. Die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now he knows some things we didn't, but yeah, yeah. So you're like, wouldn't you think that maybe she'd be saying those things? So yeah, very interesting. She's so great. I think they balanced each other out. She's going to get nominated. I think there's no question about that. She, yeah, it was a just, it's a kind of just a classic supporting performance that, yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Good job. And she hasn't been in anything. Like, I mean, her filmography is there's like six movies that I've, I've never heard of. And uh, so this is going to be her breakout role. And I think she's going to have a really interesting career after this. So it's cool. I always wonder about like that kind of stuff where, cause she's a native actress, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I always wonder about, like, how you get, so you can probably just, you just get typecast away a lot of times, right? Yeah. To where, like, okay, you're going to be in a bunch of these. I mean, that's how it's always been in Hollywood. And I often go, like, oh, is is this going to be, like, a flash in the pan and then you don't hear from this actress again, even though she's so great. Like, she's so great. And it's because people aren't writing roles for non-white actresses. You know what I mean? I, it's so I just, dumb that it works like that. But you hear this from people all the time that they have their breakout performance and then every script they get is now going to be some Native American performance. And it's like, come on, right. guys. Like, I just think she just rocks. I, yeah. I thought she was so good and so – she's a little terrifying, actually. She's scary she is a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're like, what? Because you can't read some, like, she doesn't. I think that, like, the actress, you know, she intentionally is making herself unreadable so that she can keep some of her power in the movie, mm. which I was, I just thought that's a hard thing to, that's a hard thing to, like, sh- to show people. Yeah. It's all in the face. Yeah, you might just look reserved rather than calculated silence. How do you like? How do you demonstrate calculated silence? I thought she did a she did a good job of that. She did. So anyway, but I guess what I'm saying is, I hope we see her in more things. Me too, and diverse things and things that all kinds of different roles. May it be so. Just like a rom com, mm-hmm. you know. That's what I'm saying. Like, is it stop? Is she? I don't want like, to see her rom com. Get out of here. <laughs> I was just thinking of the most opposite thing. I from lied. This. I don't like, want to see her. That's how Hollywood should think. <laughs> yeah, I want to see her in some like heavy drama stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, besides the acting, I mean, there's just so much we can talk about with this movie from the technical side of things. Before we get into the the man himself, I mean, cinematography by Rodrigo Prieto. 
Mm-hmm. This guy's made a bunch of movies. 25th Hour, Brokeback Mountain, Barbie this year, Babel, 21 Grams. This guy has been a he cinematographer in a lot of great movies. He did Babel. Yeah, really? totally. I know. Working with Inaritu, right? And Yeah, before you could get Lebeski, you got that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and he's worked with, with uh, Scorsese on a lot, too. Irishman. The Irishman and Silence before this, so they've worked together before. Mm-hmm. But I mean, incredible cinematography. I, I you notice it from the opening scene where they're dancing in the oil, and it's just yeah, it's great. It's noticeable. It's good. It's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was good. I think it's hard. It's almost like you have to watch. You could rewatch the whole movie just for cinematography. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. Same with the music. Robbie Robertson did the score, and he's worked with Scorsese all the way back to Raging Bull back in the day. King of Comedy, Irishman, Scrooged. He did Scrooged. I was like, really? was there music in Scrooged? I guess. Anyway, yeah. dude's been around the block, but yeah, I thought the score was good. So from a technical side of things, I mean, it's just hard to find any fault. I mean, you got a good team, right? I mean, mm-hmm. how can you not have a good team? And a good team is led by the man at the top, which of course, in this case, is the only Martin Scorsese. So what do we say about him after all these years, Tim? So we said a lot of stuff about him before. What did we review? Irishman? would have been the Irishman, which I did not like at all. I thought that was a very weak Martin Scorsese movie. I don't remember if you liked it more than me. I don't remember, but I didn't. I would have given it like a right. B minus I or think, something. I think I made you say the same thing as like it needed editing. Yeah, totally. Where this mm-hmm. one didn't, I wouldn't say, but that one did. That's like three plus hours of nothing. And that's one where they were like, weren't they doing like AIing people? Oh, gosh. Yeah, Robert De Niro is a young dude and his, like, weird blue eyes that just did not work. Like, I still, to this day, do not understand how they, like, finished that movie and were like, yep, we did it. There it is. It's ready. Like, that uh, looks it's awful. Odd. It's <laughs> odd. Anyway, whatever they call that, I forgot where things look too real but not real enough, and so it makes you feel unnerved. That's how yes. I felt about the the film. But anyway, Scorsese, right? In the early part of his career, works with Schrader more. Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, right? I mean, those are yep, his... Is he Raging? Yeah. So he's working with Schrader. We've done a podcast on First Reformed, I think. Yeah, with Ethan Hawke. Yeah. I feel like it, uh, he did okay. I mean, like, what do you want? I mean, I don't know what... Like, what are we trying to get from him? I think, like, what he brings, honestly, to this is you need a director who can take a three-and-a-half-hour movie and make it flow. It's really about flow, right? That's what it mm-hmm. is to me. And I think that's where you, what separates a just average Joe director who would be doing this material versus an expert in the craft is you know someone who knows how to get those beats and keep things moving. And so you're not bored. You're not like, oh, this movie. That's what you get from him. I, I don't know. I, this movie, strangely, and I don't know what it is. It could be the setting. Mm-hmm. This movie reminded me of a movie that was Michael Cimino, which you might remember from The Deer Hunter. Have you ever seen The Deer Hunter? I've heard about it. Like It has that famous, I think, Russian relay scene, but I've never actually seen it. Yeah. you got to see The Deer Hunter. I know. That's on your <laughs> list, heard. okay? Yeah. Okay, okay? Okay. Now I got Gimme Shelter and The Deer Hunter. Okay, go. But so there's this movie. So he basically got carte blanche after he made Deer Hunter because they think it won the best picture that year. Mm-hmm. So they are like, oh, he's like, I'm going to make an epic Western. So he makes this epic Western with all these famous people in it. 
and it's a like a land war between the immigrants and the new people and all this other stuff and it's called heaven's gate which i've heard of yeah, yeah. and it's like way what people said is it had too long of a runtime there's like four or five editions of heaven's gate oh no they couldn't ever quite get like the cut they wanted it turned out to be this big box office flop and this movie reminded me of that movie because it was like you could tell it's got so much behind it as far as finance talent all those things just like this one and then it kind of comes off a little bit yeah like it's just it's a good movie but it's a little it doesn't have you don't sit there going wow whoa i wasn't like amazed by the movie and i felt the same way about this heaven's gate movies it seems kind of like it's flat a little bit Okay, sure. So the big Western, it's hard to pull off. It's hard. The epic Western, I mean, you can probably count on your hands like the amount of, uh, or maybe not. It's not really my genre, so I'm probably like speaking out of total ignorance because there probably is like a bazillion really great well, epic so it's Westerns. A sam- wait, it's like a samurai movie usually, right? So, I mean, that's your typical Western. So you get like, you know, based on like Yojimbo or, you know, whatever Kurosawa junk is out there, which is based on probably Shakespeare. So, but it basically is like a power struggle and usually has class involved and people. Yeah. Anyway. I love all the based on. That's so true. It's like Tarantino uh-huh. to Kurosawa to Shakespeare. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then in the middle, you know, you get all the spaghetti versions of it. But like even Seven Samurai, I don't think runs as long as this movie. No, and that tells a great story. I remember when you forced me to watch that, and I was very reticent. But it's a great film. Seven it's a great film. Great film. And to keep the pay, and even and that's a hard one to watch. But I, I mean, I think if you're gonna have a runtime that's like Seven Samurai, Lawrence of Arabia, mm-hmm. you have to justify that runtime. And this definitely, oh, man, I don't think this did. Yeah, I, I think it's a good movie. But I don't feel like good enough to like hold me captive for four hours at a movie theater, dude. I mean, let's be honest. This movie is. Sh- longer than schindler's list that that's saying something all right you yeah you really mm-hmm. got to justify that that was about the holocaust i think you're right like what else i think I, from what i'm gathering from your vibe i liked it a little bit more than you did but i will say that i thought the pacing was pretty much perfect until the final act and i think that's where things started faltering a little bit that's where i started getting a little restless like some scenes started dragging and i wish there had been a little bit more like oomph to the threads that they established like you know the final scene between Ernest and his wife I wish there had been a little bit more there so I do feel like the movie falters I would say in the last 40 minutes maybe but for a while I think it's pretty much a bona fide great film that's my take on it but yeah I see what you're saying though it's not perfect there's no question it's not perfect and there are some pacing problems eventually it is very like you know with going back to Shakespeare and stuff. It is kind of Shakespearean, like when you have like these a marriage, the, the idea of ascending class, the idea of taking somebody's kingdom. Like all these things are like these big themes. Yeah, I, and I do I get why you you might need runtime for that, but the same. But but I do I like the films that you've compared it to. Like you're like this isn't Schindler's List. Yeah, and that's something. Speaking of Schindler's List, I what was great about that film is that, and I feel like we talk about that movie all the time. I don't know why, but anyway, it's your favorite was, movie. <laughs> it's one. It's up there. I mean, it's what, highly. Yeah. What is great about that film is that they take one story, the story of Oscar Schindler, and they make it about 
everything. They make it about the entire, you know, Holocaust and the Jewish experience and everything. And I, what, th- that's what I also felt was slightly missing in this. I want, at the end of it, you're like, okay, I saw this one story, but there's such a bigger story here, right? I wish there had been just a little bit more of that kind of a connection made there. Kind of like, very subtle, kind of like what Scorsese did at the end of Gangs in New York, where he just like did that, that awesome shot at the end of old New York becoming modern day New York, something like that. Where it's so like, that's like an anti-immigrant story. So that's an American story, right? So you mm-hmm. have the new immigrants and the old immigrants and the old immigrants are like, you're not real Americans and we'll... And it happens in the what, 1840s through the 1860s. So that's an older story that's trying to show, shed light on the same issues we're currently dealing with. I think Scorsese's doing the same thing here. So I'm not thinking it's, I, I think it's more overt in Gangs of New York. But if you look at it, basically tribal people who they've, the government has displaced to seize their land so, so white people can have their land. Then a guy who's a rancher who doesn't have the true wealth is trying to rip off more Native American folks. And the way he's going to do it is use the simpleton white guy. Yep. He becomes the medium. Right. So like, if you look at that, like that's a message, right? So, Mm. oh, you're using the poor white and even a war hero. This guy's even a war hero, right? So you're using like the poor white folks who have actually pretty good intentions, like just want to get married and be, you're using those folks in order to rip off the uh, Native Americans, Mm -hmm. rip off the folks that you tried to disenfranchise. Now you're going to, you're going to do it again. So like to me, that's, and that's okay. And then who goes to jail? He doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Right. For a spell. But yeah, he gets his. But, yeah, but he yeah. gets out. There's no real penalty for that. Yeah. Even though you like basically murdered a bunch of people. Totally. And then you use your own blood to do your dirty work to kill people. So you're saying that the metaphor lands, he's connecting it to the larger story without being more overt about it, is what you're saying, because it's the same theme that's been going on. It's America. On. Yeah. So the poor, so the basically the wealthy, because that's what he is. Look at his house. So a wealthy group of whites who are, and, and he would, I mean, he would, this is sociopath, right? This guy. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, and, and he's like a king sitting on his throne as you point right. out. So he takes and uses his own kids in order to divest people of what is rightly theirs. And at the same time, he wants the people to love him that he's stealing from, which is crazy. Right. As also only a sociopath would or a narcissist or whatever. But it's, it's historical political commentary. I mean, it's like really, that's what it is. That's what it so, is. And I'm sure if we read the book, we get more of that. You see that in here, but I don't think it's as strong. Maybe it is strong, but I didn't think I picked up on that as much as, say, Gangs of New York. I'm picking up on anti-immigrant themes. Mm-hmm. Do you think it should needed to be stronger, the connection? Or do you think that you were happy with it being more in the subtle vein? It might have needed to be stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I hated the ending of this movie. I did not like the ending either. I thought, I mean, on the one hand, it was a clever way it's more clever than just doing credits on the screen to show us everything that happened, but it didn't quite work. Something was off about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it felt weird. But I mean, look, it's America's original sin getting into themes here and it's sad. It's just sad. Right. And we've only, and it's not like the only one we committed to, because let's not even forget America's sin against black folk. And it's just, it's awful. And it's just the same old tale of, and it really just begins with dehumanization, right? We see these people as as less than us, as not fully, you know, 
whatever white being the normal the normal the standard and then that gives us justification in our mind to do just awful things to them and it's really sad yeah but with osage it's like this role reversal right so where you like go oh well i would typically think of somebody who's been marginalized as having not a lot of money not a lot of influence now it's like they've become this tribe has become like everyone has to like they have servants, cars, they have like all luxury, mm-hmm. but the minute that the, the uh, white folks see that, they've got to have it. They've got to steal all of it. So the idea of like basically the, the way, yeah, st- basically stealing from non-white people is like a thing. <laughs> but I also, but the idea of using somebody who is simple-minded in order to gain the trust of people, that to me is like very relevant politically right now. Well, yeah, and that's another classic American story, right? It's the rich pitting poor whites against minorities. That has happened all throughout the centuries. I remember reading that one, or I didn't, I, I listened to the audiobook of it. You remember the People's History of America or something like that? It's I Howard it, Zinn. People's yeah, Howard Zinn. United States. Yeah. He talks about this all the time. The rich and powerful are constantly pitting poor whites against. He's a, Zinn is a, so, he's a socialist historian. Well, sure. he's, he's he's I'm not advocating the, socialism. I'm just saying. I've read that, it. Like, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> against it. I'm not, I'm just saying like he's telling a story that's untold in now, maybe, maybe more so, but it's not like a textbook you're going to get these labor union struggles or anything like what, what you'd have in people's history. But anyway, that's mm-hmm. a side note. So I, I I don't know. I think it's interesting. I don't know. He's telling it from the perspective of, of a Catholic guy. And you see the people that the Native Americans are going to church, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, and um, she has to drag him to church to get, you know, I, I think that's so I was looking at spiritual themes. That, that was interesting to me. Is it the mm-hmm. Osage? No, they're they're religious people. Of course they are. And there's always been. That's what's so beautiful about Native American culture is that they're just connected to the earth. They're connected to these, you know, in the growing up, I would have thought that I was told that it was all evil or whatever. But now that I've sort of like evolved into more of a Richard Rohr type mystic, I guess, it's just like that kind of stuff is 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 such a primal connection to God where you are in touch with nature and you respect nature and you see God in nature. I just think it's so beautiful and we have so much to learn from that. So yeah, so the, the, there's theological difference. I don't know if the, you know, we see some of that in the film. I'm sure he brings, like Scorsese's bringing some of this into that, his perspective, his theological perspectives. Um, I mean, I think there's some, some of the simple ones are just basically like, this is America deal with it. I guess that's a theology or like just simple stuff, not simple, like probably profound, but the image of God on each person and the idea of greed, this is Cain and Abel stuff, right? Totally. Killing your brother for uh, favor or killing for stuff. Right. What's the, <laughs> no. what's the, what's the other Bible character that killed the, or killed his brother or not killed him, but like, what's the other Bible character that wanted the chili? Jacob and Esau. Jacob chili. and Esau. <laughs> he wanted, but the no, stew. he wanted the inheritance, the right? Stew. He, yeah. He yeah. wanted the inheritance and yeah. So the idea that th- that's the ancient thing that somebody would sell somebody out that was their flesh and blood, which we're all related. We all have that image of God on us, sell each other out for very little and basically destroy the relationship. That's, that's a theme obviously here. Mm -hmm. Well, another thing that stuck out to me was Ernest, you know, we talked about how he's kind of a simpleton, but like, I feel like he's sort of a stand in for sort of your just everyday evil, 
right? He's not uh-huh. a sociopath like Robert De Niro's character. He's also not a very upstanding moral guy. He's just sort of like in the middle and he ends up doing some really awful things, but it's just normal everyday evil things right which i think like applies to a lot of us right it applies to just just your i don't know how else to explain it Do you know what i'm trying to say it's sort of like we're, we're so fascinated by the ted bundy's of the world but like there's also just this everyday <laughs> awfulness right so he'll be complicit in you know the death of somebody i mean that's like not every day but like or you know he's the kind that would cheat at cards i mean like, yes it's like a simple thing or leave out one detail that would give somebody really the idea of the truth. So it's a subtle evil that sneaks up over time or uh, stuff like I don't like, uh, he hates working altogether. He, he likes to drink like that's his thing. Very subtle. First you're like, Oh, that's fun. He's a partier. And then after a while you're like, man, what if he had just worked and lived a simple life? He'd be, this is where the, when you look at his character, you go, wow, a simple life would have really benefited you. You would yeah. have gotten everything you wa- ever wanted had you not engaged evil. That's and it. now you're going to lose everything you ever loved. Mm. Yeah. But I think he's a good example of like cautionary tale type where if you just, if you'd lived a simple life, work hard, enjoy your family, you know, you may not be super wealthy, but you just do what you're going to do. Fall in love with who you fall in love with. Your life would have been much easier this way. He's basically is rubbing shoulders with some real evil stuff and it ends up biting him in the butt. Totally. And I just think when you look at all of this, when you look at dehumanization, evil and stuff, like it's so easy to point the finger and be like, yeah, this group of people in this one time. But I mean, it's in all of us, man. It's it's just embedded. It's sort of a part of the water we swim in in America. And I mean, like I was, so the other day I... I live in inner city Milwaukee, you know, and that it leads to a lot of encounters and with people who are different than me. I was at this gas station. I was, my lawnmower was out of gas. I was filling up one of those red little cans, which I've actually never done before. And I'm filling it up. And of course, like clockwork, uh, there's this guy starts shouting at me outside the gas station saying, my man, my man, you know, and, uh, he's panhandling. He's panhandling. Yeah. He wants money. And this happens every time uh, I go to a, a place in the city. And so, you know, and it's hard because it's like, the first like, you know, 20 times you deal with that, you're, you know, you're like making eye contact, you're shaking their hand, you're saying your name and you're like, you know, try to help the person. I remember right. like the first time I was in the, it was so funny. The first time I was actually moved into the city, I called you because there was this guy outside my house and he needed a ride somewhere. And I called you and <laughs> I, I was like, this. where do I, where I've got this guy in my car. And I remember you saying in your car. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I'm not a bad guy. I'm like, right. there's a certain, you say the first 20 times you, you develop and this is everybody that lives in the city is you develop kind of a more savvy approach to things. And and the more you get to know people, then you actually know the guy that's asking. You're like, you don't want money for gas. (laughs) Right. I know your mom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you get to go home right now. (laughs) But you get, you get desensitized. You get a little callous to it over the, over the years. You know, we've lived here 10 years and I just felt the whole point of that story is that I was just trying to do this one thing. I was trying to get gas. This guy's distracting me. So the gas starts flowing all over the ground and all over my canister. And I just, I don't know if, I don't think I treated that man very well. I didn't say anything terrible to him. I didn't, you know, whatever. I just like didn't fully appreciate his humanity. 
in that moment. And I think that's the kernel of it, right? That's where it starts. And that's in all of us. And that is a tendency in all of us. And that's how you get to this level of not treating someone as fully human, not recognizing their story and their value. Yeah. So you can like get like those examples. There's like kind of like real simple ones, but I'm sure people have dealt with similar things. But like, so either that person's dehumanizing you or the other, you know, it can work both ways, right? Yeah, that's true. So like if somebody's like, oh, look at that, there's a guy I can rip off. So then that's like a dehumanizing behavior on their part. Mm -hmm. But then if you're like not like for a dollar, you know, not treat that person like a human being, you're like, "Uh, maybe I should just give him five bucks and like exactly still like have the dude be a human being. Because or gal or whoever. So it's like that. It's like you're making a real you got to be careful what trades we make. You know, I I think that way because I feel like, wow. So for like to save ten dollars, I treated this person like they were less than a person. You know, (laughs) that's right. That's exactly right. It haunts you. That's pretty lousy. I know. Uh, What does it say about me? And what did I lose out of that deal? So anyway, those are those kind of interactions that, yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're hard to do. I don't know where, how we got there, but I think that we, we can slow, if we're not careful, slowly lose our, our humanity. Well, that's it. I'm just saying that's where it starts. And then the bigger version of it is what we see in this film where, you know, a whole people is dehumanized and treated as less than, and then, you know, it becomes all about getting their head rights instead of actually Mm -hmm. valuing them as people. And that leads to murder and just the worst evil that you can imagine. Yeah. So I can't begin to even touch, I can't even touch the Native American experience. My kids are learning about the Osage right now in school. Yeah. Like it's one of their units that they learn because we're in Missouri. Sure. And I'm like, I can't even begin to have any clue what that experience has been like. And, you know, we even have places that are named after the Osage around here, but they're all like got basically deported, you know, from their homeland to Oklahoma. And it's like, it's, you know, so it's kind of, it's hard for me to even imagine that experience and then that people would come and take advantage of that, you know, oh, okay, well you somehow lucked out and got oil. Yeah. Well, now we're going to steal it all slowly from you. <laughs> like that, that just is hard to, hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine. And it's hard to know what the solution is now, right? I mean, because like if, if you're talking about justice, what does justice look like when we have systematically kicked people out of their land. They were here first. They they were part of and we just and, and not to mention broken promises, broken treaties to this day, Supreme Court rulings, you know, and I don't know what the answer is. Is the is the answer to give up our land to, you know, it's there are no easy solutions to any of this, but it's just it's a sad, terrible story. Yeah, and I had no idea. I mean, I live here. I had no idea about this story. Did you have any idea of this? I had no idea. I've never heard about this story. I'm a history major. Yeah. No idea about this. So I think like the first step to me is like tell a story and tell it, you know, honest. Yeah. And so I think that's the first step and then working from there. But I, I don't, I, I think it is very complicated. And it's the power of film right there, right? Right. It's like you, this is what the medium can do. It's like you can tell a story that's engaging and do it in the right way so that you're, you, you come to the theater and you sit there for three hours and you listen to it and you hear something you've never heard before. I'm like, I'm proud that my 16 year old kid did that and that he was able to see a glimpse of something that is important. Like that should not be forgotten and swept under the rug. Something terrible that happened. And yeah. So this tells a story. I don't think it gets to the level of we did. Did we podcast do the right thing? I think we did. I'm sure we did. It's one of our, both of our favorite movies. Yeah. So there's some film that functions like parables 
like with you remember David and Nathan the prophet, you are that man. Yes. He basically tells a parable and exposes David and his sin and his all. Like when I watched Do the Right Thing the first time, and I had sympathy for the cops in Do the Right Thing that <laughs> murdered a, a young man. Yep. And then I realized that, and I was like, it was like having a prophet hit me. You know what I mean? And I'm like, yes. oh, it made me weep. Like I was, like it was horrible. And I was like, and I'm worried about some goodies restaurant getting burned down and do the right thing. That movie had power. This movie is telling a story, but it doesn't have power like that. Totally. The movies that function the best in this kind of in a vein of like, what is justice? They confront us. And then through the story, we get confronted and we are, realize our wrongs and then do something about it. I feel like this movie doesn't necessarily have that power. At least I didn't see it. Agreed. And that's the genius of that film is Spike Lee just totally messing with the white audiences who are, by and large, more upset about Sal's Pizzeria being burned Getting down. Getting burned than down. A black, <laughs> than a black man dying. Yeah. A chest. I've ne- yeah, I don't think I've seen a movie that accomplishes it as well as that. Totally. I mean, that's just, to me, maybe it's because it's right in the where my heart's at, you know? Like, I am guilty there, you know? That's where my sin lies. But anyway, I didn't feel like that this movie had a prophetic edge like that. So what are your final thoughts on it and your letter grade? Uh, I think it's worth seeing. It's definitely like, okay, you got a big, long... I feel like if I were a college student on break, this would be a good movie to watch. It's a huge time commitment. It is. And it's okay. It's worth watching. If you love Scorsese, you're going to watch it anyway. Just like I will always watch whatever comes out that he makes. Yeah, I think it's a interesting. Made me want to read the book. Okay, letter grade. Uh you know, it's got so much going for it. I would give it a solid. I would give it a B plus. I'd okay. give it a B plus. I know I've seen more negative, but I have a high. Exp- when you have that much resource, you have that much. You, you basically have everyone involved is amazing already and has proved themselves. I feel like it takes a lot to make that a C. I think that's a, it's a solid B plus. I think. Okay. Well, I would say that, you know, I've been pretty disappointed in Scorsese's movies over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Like I, you know, when you're talking about Wolf of Wall Street, Shutter Island, Hugo, I was just like, there's, he's made just all these movies that are kind of like, you know, they're fine. I, you know, when you get to a certain point of a filmmaker, they're not going to make a bad movie. So like, they're all like B ish, B, B minus. You're like, that was fine. So I actually liked this a lot more than I thought I would because I was expecting it to be in that range. I think this is his best movie since The Departed, and I I did I did really enjoy it. I would give it an A minus. I don't think it's perfect. I like for the reasons I said. I think it's it's got some third act problems. I wish they had resolved some of the things better. I didn't like the ending, and there was just some things that I quibbled about with the pacing at the end. But overall, A minus. I think it's it's in his upper echelon of his work, but it's nowhere, of course, approaching classics. So it's in the top half of all the films he's made. This isn't Goodfellas. This isn't, you know, Raging Bull or Taxi Driver, but it's up there. It's more than the movie, the kind of movies that I think he's made for the last 10 to 20 years. I agree. I think we're close on this film. You and I. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're in the same ballpark. 
It is rare lately for me to like a film better than you. Uh, I feel like that is not where we've been trending, but that's good. I like it. Yeah, it's good. Hey, so do you think we ought to be watching 80-year-old filmmakers anymore? (laughs) I do. I will say this, man. Okay, so... I think Spielberg and Scorsese are both like in a position where they've been making sort of like B-ish ho-hum movies for the last uh, a couple decades. Not B movies, but we would rate them Bs. We would rate right? them as Is that what you're saying? Right, yeah. that we would rate them in the B range. I think it's these movies are proof that they still got it. I think the fact that Scorsese came out with this, I'd give it an A minus. I think it's his best film in years. And I think Spielberg did the exact same thing with The Fablemans last year. It's just, it's proof that he still has it. And so I do think that we should still be watching 80-year-old directors because every once in a while they come back and they're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that guy, he can still do it. Cool. Well, the film is Killers of the Flower Moon. It is playing only at the theater near you at the moment, but it will eventually be on Apple TV Plus or whatever the heck it's called, and I think somewhere around December. So I think we would both say maybe wait till you can stream this three-and-a-half-hour movie and take a couple breaks, take your own intermission. That might be the better way to go. But it's going to be talked about heavily around Oscar time, so you definitely want to see it before you know February or March. Don't get a big soda. <laughs> Don't do it. Whatever <laughs> unless you do. Unless you get an astronaut diaper on. Then you can get the big soda. <laughs> Don't talk about astronaut diapers again. Stop it. It's, so hey, gross. It's I don't want to know some watching, guy. Is... <laughs> we keep watching these long films. I'm going to talk about it every time. <laughs> it's true. So check it out um, either in the theater or at home and let us know what you think. Write to us. The address is podcast at cinemafaith.com. Podcast at cinemafaith.com. Let us know. Let us know if you agree with our take. Maybe you think it's better or worse than what we talked about. We'd love to hear from you. And Tim, we will be back next month because like you said, there's just a lot of good movies out there and we're going to find mm-hmm. something. Worst case scenario, I think we should watch David Fincher's latest, The Killer, on Netflix, but I think we might even be able to find something better. So we'll be back. Not sure yet on what, but this is the time of just great movies coming out one after the other. So I'm excited about it. I am too. Very cool. It's great talking to you, as usual. Yeah. Keep the faith, my friends. We will see you next time.